0: Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com
1: Ich nicht.
2: You are listening to Holy Madness. Yes, you are. Here we are your co-hosts.
0: I'm Tsvi And I'm Mersen Kapanzer. And this is the Why Do Bad Ideas Happen to Good People episode of Holy Madness, the show.
2: Yep. Episode number
0: two. And to kick it off, we're going to start with a hard quiz. This quiz was, it's hard first because it was hard to write and it was hard to write because what counts as a bad idea is partially subjective. So I might say that end-rhyming Hebrew poetry is corny, or that John Cage's ideas were bad for music, or um, that Donatism shouldn't have been a heresy, but I can't say why these things are bad without introducing you to my aesthetics, or morality, or theology, or history, or my whole sense of the world. And it's also hard for a deeper reason, which is that lots of ideas, which in retrospect we recognize as clearly bad, were crucial for getting us to better ideas. So, for example, you can scoff at Platonic ideas or at Newton's theories about the nature of space or the dichotomy between mind and body uh, or equal temperament in the piano or the institution of slavery. But if we were to excise any of those bad ideas from the development of humanity, it's hard to know where we'd be. Because these bad ideas went someplace, and they are the stuff of history, so.
2: And in a microcosm, doing this quiz is a bad idea, but it'll get us to better places.
0: Well, we can hope.
2: Yeah. Well, that's true. I wouldn't bet on it. Okay. So don't
0: look over my shoulder here. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure I believe you. Okay. So, I'm going to ask you to answer in Jeopardy form, in the form of a question.
2: Okay, fair enough. Okay. Uh, what is okay, fair enough?
0: Yes, very good. Fearing destruction of the world, this social planning urban development project incurred the wrath of God.
2: Um, I have no idea. Uh, what is I have no idea what you're talking about? Oh,
0: no way, man. Really?
2: None. This was the easy one. Well, it's going to go downhill from here.
0: (laughs) What is the Tower of Babel?
2: Oh, it's too vague of a hint, man.
0: (sighs) Okay. Okay, ready? This bad book managed to stunt the development of science for perhaps more than a thousand years.
2: What is the New Testament? I wasn't going to go there. (laughs) I don't know. Is there anything explicitly (laughs)
0: anti-science in the New Testament?
2: No. No. I'm just making a joke at other people's expense. Um, Let's see. A book that it, hindered... It, you know what? It might be easier for, for you
0: if you don't think of it as the title of a book, but you think of it as a set of ideas.
2: Hmm. What is creationism?
0: I'm going to go with what is Aristotle's physics? So this put forth ideas like heavier objects fall faster
2: if you ever been out drinking on a weekend i can assure you that that is true
0: <laughs> only because of air resistance
2: well, i was just gonna go with they fall harder <laughs> oh, seems faster that that's because of momentum thank you bill nye
0: this bad idea Seems like it could be good science, but gets warped around ethnocentric and racist presumptions and general hubris. It grew into a movement in the U.S. and Western Europe and led to forced sterilizations, among other things. It took Nazism to end the fad, but it could easily make a comeback.
2: What is eugenics?
0: Well done.
2: Yeah. Did you look over my shoulder that No, I even have my glasses off. (laughs) Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay.
0: Upheld as an ideal, in this hypothetical primordial situation, human beings lived without society with complete liberty.
2: What is a noble savage?
0: Oh, we'll take that. Good one. I was looking for what is Rousseau's state of nature, but yeah, noble savage. Nice. Well done. Okay, a great revolutionary ideology popular among college professors and hippies to this day and responsible for tens and millions of deaths had this odd effect on the pirated movie industry in Romania.
2: What is communism?
0: <laughs> no, that's the ideology. What's the odd effect on the pirated movie industry in Romania? Um, it ended it. Okay, this is probably the hardest question here. So it didn't end it. In fact, the pirated movie industry boomed under the communist regime because all you could get were communist-sanctioned movies, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the odd effect is practically all available English-language movies, which is at least 3,000, were voice-dubbed by one woman playing all the roles. (laughs) That's amazing, right? Her name is Irina Nistor. And she was a a personality on Romanian radio who was tapped by the pirated movie industry to do the voice dubbing. She didn't have a lot of time to prepare, so it was pretty spontaneous voice dubbing. This woman's English must have been amazing.
2: Um, By the time she finished, anyway.
0: So here's another bit for you. Um, So Ceausescu banned foreign everything. If it wasn't made by communists, uh, Romanians couldn't have it. Um, the uh, So no bananas, no marbles, no Marlboro cigarettes, no condoms. Um, they did have oranges, which were known as the Dallas of the fruit kingdom. And Dallas, of course, was permitted and fantastically popular. That was the, the way that the Romanians tasted freedom through Dallas. Hmm.
2: I'm pretty sure the no condom thing wasn't just because of it being made by communists. It's because... He outlawed abortion and declared that children belong to the state.
0: I'm not sure there were no condoms, but there were no non-communist made condoms.
2: I was going to make a joke about things failing, but... I was going to make about a joke about sharing everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, this bad idea has been used since ancient times to claim that the moral order isn't objective, isn't real, and can be arbitrarily changed.
2: Divine nature of kings?
0: Interesting. But we're looking for the idea what is everything is socially constructed. Okay, it was kind of a stretch because it's not exactly the name of a doctrine.
2: Hmm. Well, and I have no idea. Okay. So, uh, what social, is social constructivism? What is I have no idea what, what social is. constructivism is? That's not true. You're a millennial. Fair point. I'm not. Wait, am I a millennial? You're totally a millennial. What, what year is the, is, the, is the cutoff date? OK. So it starts –
0: 1980 is the hinge between Gen X and millennials. I know because I'm there. Then uh, allegedly millennials were going to go to 2000. But recent research shows that 1995 is a critical year because of computers and cell phones.
2: You just ruined my life. What can I do? Celebrate probably. Probably. I'll dance on, well, (laughs) anyway. You can dance on my grave, sure.
0: (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, okay, we have two more questions. All right. Okay, I think you'll get the next one. This man gave his name to the religious movement aiming at redemption through sin, which he promulgated among as many as half a million Jews in your Kielu hometown of Poland.
2: I forgot his name. He was the sex maniac guy. Yeah, Yaakov, Jacob. Uh, I forgot his name, man. You're
0: you're on the right track. Of course, you would be for lots of Jews who are named. Yaakov.
2: Yeah, yeah. His first name was Jacob. I forgot his last name.
0: Um, here I'll give you a hint. This is a somewhat derogatory Ashkenazi term for somebody coming from.
2: Frank. There we go. Jacob Frank. And we get some ethnic hatred in there as well. (laughs) Nice. Well done. So
0: this bad idea was opposed by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, but Alan Greenspan lobbied Congress to strip the Commodity Futures Trading Commission of its power, arguing that opposition to the bad idea would cause a financial crisis. Congress agreed, and that eventually led to this bad idea, causing a
2: financial crisis. Does that have to do with the Options Board? Oh, he allowed, uh, he allowed traders onto the commodities trading floor. Um, people, speculators, I should say, there are always traders there. But
0: So you'll have to tell me if you got the right answer, because you know more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. But I was looking for what are credit, credit swap derivatives.
2: Oh, then no, totally wrong. Thank you for clarifying.
0: So last question here. I was, I was thrilled to find this. I thought this was great. Coating bullets with this substance turned out to be a bad idea. In fact, it led to the Indian-British War.
2: What is cow blood?
0: Uh, you're on the right track. You want to give it another shot?
2: What is cow fat?
0: Yes, including cow fat. Cow and pig fat. Animal lard was used as a bullet lubricant. (laughs) And uh, the Indians, who have a taboo against eating this, uh, didn't want to put it in their mouths, even for the sake of reloading. And uh, they thought this was just a terrible idea by the British. And it was one of the factors that led to the Indian-British War, which the British officially won, but the Indians were able to reassert their traditional mores. Uh, through the struggle, and so, uh, you know, and it eventually led to their independence too. So, go for it, Indians.
2: Nice, not bad. So I finished, I think, one for about a hundred and twelve.
0: No, you got a, uh, you got at least two, right? Something like that. You got Noble Savage, Eugenics, Frank. Yeah, you got three, I think.
2: Wow, three for a hundred and twelve.
0: Well, not
2: a hundred. Okay. Yeah, you you did pretty bad today. Yeah. What can I say? I just don't have that many bad ideas.
0: (laughs) So we'll be coming back in our next segment to do some good ones.
2: Don't touch your website. And we're back. We're discussing why do bad ideas happen to good people.
0: And first, I'd like to get into an amazing metaphor for how ideas work. And where they come from. Where they come from. So the metaphor is genetics. And this idea uh, came uh, from Richard Dawkins,
2: who is an evolutionary biologist. And he's also the top left picture in our promo art wearing the priest's collar. He doesn't
0: usually wear a priest's collar. But... He is sort of the high priest, high priest of atheism, maybe.
2: And that's the joke in the picture. It's totally Photoshop. He,
0: thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so Dawkins uh, is an amazing scientist and an amazing writer. And in his book, The Selfish Gene, he hatched this idea of the meme. So here's a quote. Examples of memes are tunes, ideas, catchphrases, clothes fashions, ways of making pots or of building arches. Just as genes propagate themselves in the gene pool by leaping from body to body via sperm or eggs, so memes propagate themselves in the meme pool by leaping from brain to brain via a process which, in the broad sense, can be called imitation.
2: I would suggest, or learning...
0: Right. Okay. So open question. What is learning?
2: Sure. Fair enough. But for what we're discussing, we're going to use – I think it's fairer to use the word learning because we're going to take for granted that colloquially we learn we, – we, we get new ideas by learning them, whether they're from insight or from instruction um, or from imagination. But there is something – Uh, which we call learning, without getting into philosophy or um, semantics. The the reason I'm I'm suggesting learning instead of imitation is really just because imitation sounds very Pavlovian uh, experientially.
0: Yes, you're right. I think that his point in this context is to take what we um, see as correctly as a complicated process, learning, and to say that, uh, to a great extent, we can break down learning into uh, imitating things that we've already seen and heard and experienced and uh, recombining them in novel ways. Absolutely. So, okay. uh, so, And he's doing that because of the, the genetic analogy.
2: Great. So, but okay. in our, you know, again, so we'll be using the word learning. But we're referring to the same process that Dawkins had called imitation. Okay, so uh,
0: one thing that we need to get straight off the bat is that when we're talking about memes, we aren't talking about internet memes. Internet memes are also memes, but they aren't the only kind of meme, and they aren't even a very good example in some sense.
2: Well, the truth is, I uh, uh, it, it's very interesting. We, internet memes... The meme is the picture, never the text.
0: Ah, because the text is always playing with the picture, you're saying?
2: First of all. But second of all, the text is not the idea. The text is the commentary. The idea is always encapsulated in the picture. Uh-huh. So when you take that infamous think meme, right, the the guy pointing to his head with that knowing smirk, that's the point that the person's making. They're just telling you what – about what with the words. But the meme is the picture, not the point.
0: Uh-huh. OK.
2: On that note, I wanted to throw in a, a joke that I'm totally ripping off from the TV show Broke Girl – Two Broke Girls uh, where they, they say Twitter is stupid and Instagram is Twitter for people who can't read.
0: Well, a picture is worth a thousand words. So they say so to to give an example, a very concrete example, even a pictorial example of how memes recombine like genes to uh, in no- novel combinations let's look at mythical creatures, like uh, the dragon or the griffin or um, even the phoenix or something like that, where you know you might have a creature where the uh, head is a lion and the tail is a zebra and the middle section is a snake or even Svi.
2: tail of a zebra? Did you really just go there? I totally
0: went there. Man. Okay so you can have these mythical creatures and uh, of course nobody's ever seen a creature like this before uh, but you take these separate elements of things that you've seen or experienced in some way and you put mm-hmm. them together And then you have this new creature which has its own name and that can go on and become a character in a poem or whatever it is. And uh, it propagates forward those ideas and even the idea of combining these things in weird ways. Okay. Okay. So uh, Samuel Coleridge, the great British poet, had um, he was thinking about the creative process. He— writes beautifully about the creative process. And uh, in his theory of the imagination, one section of the imagination is called Fancy. And he sees fancy, this is a quote. So the fancy is indeed no other than a mode of memory emancipated from the order of time and space. So what it is, is the memory of these different things that you've seen along the way. And it allows you fancy, to recombine them in ways which are novel, but you are not imagining sui generis, new new things.
2: Okay, and once we're talking about recombining things, and especially when we started off with Dawkins about memes and genes, we all know recombination is the way that genes uh, re themselves into creating new ideas. So we've brought two very different Um, two very different people and Dawkins and Coleridge but we're pointing out from two ends of a spectrum how they're really um, the same idea and that idea is evolution more than anything else
0: so in evolution uh, part of what you have is passing along but then like you were saying now the other part is the because it's a variety of things that are passed on you need this diversity of things then they could be recombined in novel ways and you can come up with new stuff which might be better for the present circumstance, uh, better in terms of whatever constraints are operating on your system. So um, you know, in a biological sense with genetics, that's adapting to a particular environment or whatever the case may be. And in the mimetic sense... That's fitness for whatever the um, technological or scientific or ideational demand is, whatever ideas needed in the moment. And you could see this unfolding in real time in a conversation, even our conversation, where we're pulling quotes from different places, we're pulling popular ideas from different places, and uh, they're being recombined or being combined in a way that they've never been combined before and they never will be combined in the future. Um, I mean, unless the universe just keeps cycling over and over.
2: Um, did you hear about those monkeys who finished Shakespeare? Did they finish? Yeah, yeah. They oh. totally finished.
0: Oh, oh. We should get them started on somebody else.
2: Well, I mean, the funny thing is last month they got all the way up to the last letter and then the stupid monkey typed an X and that start all over again.
0: Wow. So maybe maybe we could get the bunkies to write my life's works in advance for me. And then I could just copy the monkey. <laughs>
2: Douglas out. Adams has a whole thing on this in the Hitchhiker's Guide to oh, the yeah. Galaxy involving <laughs> time travel, where there was this poet who you know think Shakespeare, right? You're 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 the CEO of Whiteout. Okay. And you figure an endorsement from Shakespeare would be fantastic. Oh yeah. So you go back in time and you show Shakespeare Whiteout and it's great. And Shakespeare uses it to correct some of his mistakes and before you know it, it's fantastic. Shakespeare has endorsed whiteout and it's great. But the thing is Shakespeare now also knows about time travel and so he realizes it's far more fun to go into the future and go on talk shows than it is to live in England, you know, in in his time frame. And what winds up happening is he never gets around to actually writing any of his poems. Oh, so whiteout goes and hires somebody to just copy him down out of a textbook, and give them back and give them to back him. to him. And then so. it becomes a whole question: Well, is Shakespeare really Shakespeare now? And et cetera, et cetera. And he goes on for for a while. But
0: this explains certain discrepancies in spelling.
2: In but this itself, by the way, is a a idea, uh, and an application of what we're discussing, where you can take ideas of marketing and time travel, and expertise. And you mix them all together in this humorous way where you come up with something completely novel, pun intended, it's a novel. and You could also
0: put them together in almost the same exact way and make a horror novel out of it.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So so this is the, the general idea in terms of information generation. And ideas are really information. That's, that's, that's what they are.
0: So for me, one very powerful example, because I can see it in real time, see it laid out on the page, the, the diverse pool of ideas and the way that they're tested in different circumstances and combined and tried out in new ways is the Talmud and the subsequent halachic literature that comes out of it.
2: So just to fill that in a bit, and that's, that's, that's a fantastic point. Uh, for those of you that that may not have a background in learning the Talmud, the Talmud is basically a transcription of the conversation that went on in the academy as these topics came up and it goes uh over four five generations, six generations i think um of of this discussion and so somebody will walk in. Uh, with a question, and uh, I really should have stuck this in before, but what you were describing a moment ago about demands, about how evolution, uh, you talking about uh, uh, adaption, environment, these are, it's problem solving. That's what it is. A problem comes up, and in finding a solution, that's where the, that, that's what ev- evolution does. It, it seeks to solve problems. Um, and so somebody will walk in with a question, you know, how do we establish the, the new month, the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar based calendar and you need witnesses that saw the moon. You know, this is talking a couple thousand years ago. And so they start this conversation, they reach a point and two generations later, it turns out that what they thought was the answer doesn't actually work anymore because things have changed. And so they revisit the question but they're bringing in other things and you, 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 you're literally sitting in a conversation but you're watching or listening to this wide, varied, diverse pool of ideas, concepts um, and points being tossed back and forth and mixed and remixed and unmixed and remixed until you come to your solution which may or may not work. Part of the
0: amazing power of the Talmud as an example of this is that the ideas are extremely well segmented, uh, atomized. So I can point to the Mishnah and I can say, okay, so uh, most of the sages hold this way and Rebbe Yehuda holds this other way. And then I can look at, okay, so... Um Reish Lakish understands the Mishnah this way, and Rabbi Yochanan understands the Mishnah this way, and the basis for their disagreement is some baraita, which they have interpreted differently, etc., etc., etc. So I can identify each of the distinct elements and how they're functioning in the uh, thought of Reish Lakish. And in the thought of Rabbi Yochanan, and I could see their different mimetic codes, how they've put them together in different ways, and and arrived at different results.
2: Absolutely, and this continues once you get into this uh, what we call uh, a psak, the the religious ruling. What is the law? And what's amazing is in, in our in in the uh, the Jewish people's religious law. Um, this is an ongoing discussion. Every new element that 's introduced forces another recombination of the whole. so you had just brought up in terms of so there's a there 's a passing along of of concepts of information of previous uh rulings and then there 's application novel context sometimes somebody comes in and says, "Well, what about this?" and you can use the previous rulings to induce. Well, in this case, it would be that. Sometimes you wind up having to redo everything completely because, well, no, this actually changes everything. And you can follow these these evolving trains of thought over, you know, 3,000 years, give or take, from verses in the Bible all the way out to what we have today. One of my favorite examples, um, which... Uh, which is something that comes up quite frequently in anti-Semitic literature.
0: Oh, that's probably why it's your favorite example.
2: Yeah, obviously. Is the commandment for genocide. Oh, There's a Amalek. commandment. Go kill Amalek. Wipe exactly. Out. It literally uses the term wipe out, not just them, but their memory.
0: Um, from under the heavens.
2: Right. And And the way that that evolved was you know you, you, that that said to Moses it's in Exodus and by the time it reaches uh the time of the prophets there's already a seeming understanding uh based on a on a pun because it says wipe out the memory of Amalek but the word for memory and the word for males is the same word in Hebrew so when Saul goes to do this he only kills Well, Saul goes through this, he kills everyone except the king and the animals. And then when David's general, Yoav, goes to do this, he only kills the males Hmm. because that's how he understood the commandment and he was told he was wrong. And then by the time this reaches – and you understand, at some point we lost our state. We lost our independence. We lost our ability to function uh, in such a way. And and the world had evolved a little bit, you know, to the point where genocide is a really a double-edged sword if you're going to commit genocide and somebody can commit it on you too. And it winds up with, you know, so first in, in the Talmud, they point out that lineages are mixed. So there's no Amalek anymore. Or at least we don't know who they are. They wouldn't uh-huh. go as far as to say there is none. But since you don't know who they are, you can't keep that commandment. Unless you know that this person's ge, you know, genetic uh, uh, ancestry is 100% Amalek.
0: How would we even determine that today?
2: Well, I mean, I guess you'd have to have a written genealogical record and it's signed by witnesses in each generation. That's kind of the point. And, and oh, I once, looked this
0: up. There are people named Amalek. You're kidding. Yeah, it's it's a, a known name in some cultures.
2: That's incredible. Now i got to look this up. but But at some point, we continue to chip away at the... Assumptions included in such a thing to to where today the basic ruling is uh, in most uh, circles at any rate outside of the purely fundamentalist ones or or agenda driven ones where you wouldn't do it even if you could we don't you know and it 's amazing because you have a straight out commandment from God that has now been completely redefined. Into not being something you would do. At all. Well, speak for yourself. I don't think you would either. I don't know. If I
0: had the clarity of, this is Amalek, they must be destroyed.
2: The fact that you've already introduced the idea of needing clarity into it is exactly my point.
0: Well, it's a, it's a new problem that's arisen today.
2: And And back then, people were so distinct.
0: In the times of David, apparently
2: they were. They weren't. Really? Why do you think Yoav (laughs) says that maybe it only means the males?
0: Well, that's an issue of his interpretation of the commandment. You're
2: missing the point. Why does he see that as being part of, why does he see that as the commandment? For the same clarity reasons. How does that work? What makes somebody part of a people? Remember, David oversaw a time where there was a tremendous amount of other people joining the Jewish people that weren't Jews. Okay.
0: And hey, there's also an issue when uh, uh, the Kenim have to, uh, we tell them, you know, get away from the, the Malekim.
2: Yes, but that takes place long before. That's right, in right, Saul's yeah. time.
0: That's even before uh, Saul.
2: You're yeah. right. That's in Judges. Yeah. Correct, correct. So that's my point. So you're seeing the evolution of idea application in real time. Where in the span of five or six generations, there's already enough of a question as to say maybe this pun in the verse is intentional. Maybe it only could mean males who have this tribal identity, because in those times, that's how it went. You're, you, you were a product of your father. That continued all the way out to the Romans with the idea of a father could put his kids to death. He was literally the king of his, of his family. And over time, that began to change. And so we have today, I mean, look, you and I live in a time where people feel the need to literally check their DNA to figure out who or where they're from. And there's this drive to want to do that. You're looking backwards. So that's my point. If you had an instance where somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said, this guy's from Amalek, I don't think that would mean anything to you. You and I look at it now, by the way, going back to the same verse and the same point, why about the memory of Amalek? So what's important is the ideas, their 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 philosophy, their effects on culture.
0: I hear that because if if somebody were to point to you know, some guy on the street and say that guy is from Amalek, and they were to show me some kind of proof that this guy is Amalek, I would be you know, highly disinclined to kill the guy until I see the principles of amalek the philosophy of amalek manifest in this person
2: right but that means that you're now looking at that original commandment with this idea of what was the point
0: you're totally right
2: and so it's my favorite example of watching how you can have something which is as black and white as it gets turn uh almost prism like into millions of shades of gray when you use this principle of allowing things, of ideas evolving and letting them evolve, well, forcing mean, them to evolve. It
0: doesn't mean things have evolved correctly. It doesn't mean that we've come to a better understanding of the commandment now. I, mean, I, I, I would say I, we have. Certainly with all the development of the idea, we have a, a richer sense of the possibilities. There's no, no question about that. This was something actually that that started to come up with the the quiz um, with the the Tower of uh, Babel, Mm -hmm. right? So um, you have this group of people who are terrified of what just happened to humanity. There was a flood, right? And there are different ways of understanding the story, but basically they've adopted a defensive or offensive posture, an adversarial posture toward God and toward the progress of, uh, the work of creation. And so they've decided that they're going to all think the same things and speak the same way and have a monolithic society, literally monolithic. Well, it's, it's, yeah, they're building a monolith. Absolutely. Um, It's not one stone, but it's, you know, that sort of structure. And, um, uh, they they get destroyed. Their whole project is destroyed by God. And the immediate result of that seems to be the purpose of that destruction. So what happens? Well, they separate out into the islands of the nations. They are forced into diversification. And so this is an absolutely necessary component of the possibility for evolution, the possibility for generating new combinations. You have to have a diversity of possibilities that you're working with in the first place.
2: Absolutely. What I want to point out, and with this we're going to segue into the next points that we we want to hit on, is that the brilliance of the Torah Shabbal Peh, the oral law approach, is that it is constantly looking for things outside of itself,
0: Uh, That's getting into uh, transduction.
2: That's where we're headed with this. But in terms of – it's not just that it's recombining things. It's that it seeks to recombine things, one bringing in something new.
0: So, for example, in the Talmud, we have the Talmudic sages uh, examining various ideas from Greek thought.
2: Because that's when it had come up in society – Right. That's today, when they were grappling with these things.
0: Today we would grapple with various scientific findings.
2: Absolutely, and people are. Some more than others. <laughs> but, but people are. But recombination is not the only form of information generation. There are many, but I want we're going to zoom in on two others. One is transduction, which is how viruses work, which you have this injection of something new, but by force. The model we were talking about a moment ago, the the new things are sought out and brought in. In this instance, you have something that doesn't want something new, and it's injected against its will, so to speak. And then once it does that, this new stuff is in there and can be recombined. And so that's transduction, the recombination of transduction. The third one we, we're we going to call reduction, even though I don't think it's a accurate term.
0: In genetic terms, it would be like asexual reproduction.
2: Cloning, exactly, where where you're not having anything new and you're not recombining anything. You're just spitting out carbon copies. To go back, by the way, to what what I had pointed out on internet memes, that the meme is the picture, not the words. This is a perfect example of that. It's the same picture every damn time. Right.
0: Right. You also get this in... Uh, I don't want to speak for fundamentalist strains of other religions, but certainly in fundamentalist Judaism, where you have mindless repetition of the same ideas over and over again.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: So let's... You know about snails? What about them? Snails are bisexual. I mean, they have, each snail is both sexes. So they can reproduce as a male or as a female or reproduce with themselves. I don't know if that's all species of snails.
2: Who thought they had all the luck? <laughs> but they only have one toe. Ah, oh, forget it. One toe, forget it. Now, so we have these three kinds of uh modes of generation, right? And and what's interesting is in in today's time, in in, in the in today's zeitgeist, we're always talking about things going viral.
0: Yeah. Like our podcast,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like our podcast. Oh boy, um, and 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 the funny thing is, viral is transductive. That's literally how viruses uh, reproduce. It they just transfers its DNA into the nucleus of a cell, right, and takes it over, and often destroys it. But. When we talk about things going viral, that's actually what's taking place. You have these things that are external, that just impinge themselves into, into call it society at large, right? We touched on last episode about uh, that pithy quote in our tradition of how uh, man is a small world and the world is one large man, one large person, one organism, and and this is what these... Uh, viral things do so. Th- I, I would love to suggest a controversial example because I like doing that. Um, this whole social justice warrior stuff.
0: Oh yeah, they're controversial today.
2: Oh yeah, because you know you're touching on people's deep, deeply held values. But this is really an instance of viral uh, evolution of of transductant, uh, transductive evolution.
0: Are you calling social justice warriors viruses?
2: I'm suggesting that the way that these ideas take hold of minds is by forcible application. Hmm.
0: Okay, keep going.
2: I'm not alone in this. Uh what was that guy from from Canada got in all that trouble, A professor?
0: Dr. Jordan Peterson.
2: Yes. So he 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 made the same point and uh and he defends it far better than, than I can. But it's an example of something which is is forcible. It it, it for whatever the the mechanics of it are, in which you have, you know, you'll be tarred and feathered publicly. Your reputation will suffer, and you you have a need to be seen as a as a moral person. And they come with this sense of it's a given that these are moral things. So you don't have a choice. But it's transductive uh-huh. in its evo- evolution, and for that reason, by the way, it's not. Evolutive, it doesn't change. We've had this movement for a few years now, and it just gets more intense. And in some ways, either clones itself or forces itself into things. And, and it'll change in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of when it gets applied to something new. So, okay, you know, look, we we all love pointing out the, the inherent hold country. Hold hold on,
0: hold on. I'm not quite sure how you're saying this. You're saying like. I'm a postmodern social justice warrior and I inject my ideology together with a thousand other copies of myself into my university and force the ideology over years, you know, the many copies of myself into the university system so that the professors and the administrators are all afraid of uh, social justice warriors and the university is forced to adapt essentially by reproducing our ideology in its classes and things and so now I've taken this idea which originated in more or less in you know uh, the thought of let's say Michel Foucault for example and I forced it into um, thinking about literature of any field of history uh, Feminist thought, whatever it is, exactly.
2: And then the next, you know, these university graduates go on to get jobs, and they wind up in corporations, and then they'll bend the corporate. Meaning, the the ideology never evolves; it's just the application that changes.
0: Uh Ah, okay.
2: So that would be that would be an example of that. And and in terms of cloning, I mean, any copycat wannabe, uh, you know type of of
0: uh, oh that's an interesting feature. So ideologies in a way have to be simple because in order to replicate themselves quickly and uh in mass they they're gonna be stripped down and, and easy to apply. Exactly.
2: Yes. And the other thing about ideology is it, it tends to be dogmatic. It has to or otherwise it loses Itself, if you have rules that are not ironclad. Look, going back to our original example, this commandment to kill Amalek, Amalek, and how it completely disappeared over the course of time in terms of its original import, that no longer exists. I'm not- kill doesn't mean kill, Amalek doesn't mean Amalek, etc. So you, you, you totally redefine something into being something else. No, I disagree. You're a heretic. I don't mind being a heretic, but the same thing we said before, I'm not saying anything new, but if that was dogmatic, if there was a dogmatic element to the process, that uh, evolve, you know process of evolving, then at some point you would have overstepped the, the, the line, and therefore it would have ended there. So anything that's ideological by definition is going to be dogmatic. And anything that's dogmatic, by definition, will hit a dead end point in its evolution.
0: And eventually will die out.
2: Yes, it eventually will. So
0: when we're looking at people and bad ideas, you know, we can say these are like extinct species. And we might not be there yet, but, you know, we'll get there. And we could look at all sorts of bad ideas that, that died out, like communism in the way that stalin practiced it.
2: Absolutely. What basically the these dead ends are are Well, I guess the best way to put it would be things evolve to a point and then they're they're limited at that point. So there's no path for them to move any further. Once you have that limitation and you're not looking for things that are outside to bring in to recombine and to totally change everything. The minute you lose that openness, you're now talking about a a closed end. It Look, will end if if
0: you evolve to reproduce um, in a simple dogmatic way, right you shift the environment and then all of a sudden you aren't going to be well adapted to that. so dogmatic positions typically appear as like antiquated or Backwards or like isn't that some relic from the seventeenth century that people are holding on to that idea or um, you know radical Islam is a great example
2: sure, especially since the truth is it didn't exist the way that they're saying it does it did but it now does
0: right it, It's it's th- that's fascinating so it's an ideology that's created on a in envisioning a past which never quite existed
2: I would say honestly that most <laughs> most utopian uh visions of of recreating uh some glorious past that past never actually existed in the first place but that's a that's actually something we should really yeah, dedicate an so entire so podcast so. to yeah, but so. what I want to what I want to do here is shift for a moment cuz we've been talking very broad and general terms and I want to zoom in to the the individual uh-huh. because when we talk about these different modes of generation, they're all present in, 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 in an individual at any point in time. In fact, they often are all firing at the same time.
0: That's part of the point that you have this random firing of all these possibilities. Exactly. And then they, they get tested you, mostly unconsciously in whatever process is there.
2: Right. So the thing is ideas is we can use a a bit of a it's not a metaphor but a, a um a helpful mental picture to to understand it we we can pretend for a moment that people's minds have a shape and ideas have a shape Well, we were talking before about things being open so you can uh-huh. have a mind that is open enough the op- the aperture is wide enough that ideas of all shapes can fit inside uh-huh but sometimes you don't. You have, you know, the old trying to drive a, a square peg into a round hole um, uh, motif, you know, that it depends that. on the diameter. That's my point. Yeah. It does technically depend on the diameter, but you have um, overarchingly these ideas that don't fit into people's heads. If you try to talk about uh, personal, um, uh, pers- what's the word? Um, liberty. Personal liberty, to a fundamentalist, it ain't gonna go. I don't know. Libertarian's very
0: libertarian ideology is very big among Christian fundamentalists. You mean like an Islamic fundamentalist?
2: No. And by the way, the uh, the appeal of libertarianism is because it removes all the issues that a fundamentalist has with the government, because <laughs> everyone's allowed to do whatever they want. And what I want to do is this. But what I mean is when I say personal liberty, I mean the idea of certain things like, uh, I don't know, what, to a fundamentalist, what would it be sin? I, look, I have the liberty to uh, – look, we're Jews, right? So um, to eat pork, I could. I won't, <laughs> but I could.
0: So does that make you a fundamentalist?
2: No, that's the point because I'm saying I could a, a uh-huh. real okay. a I real see. fundamentalist can't it 's out of his realm of of uh um a possibility
0: uh-huh. i don 't know that sounds in some sense like something to aspire to as well
2: This is a track in which humanity has been moving along for a long time i'm not sure what you mean i mean that the uh, you 're saying this is something to aspire to. The narrative of human history. This is where humanity as a whole has been going for a few hundred years now.
0: But to aspire to that is not a part of my space of possibilities. Like I acknowledge in the abstract that it's there, but like
2: no, to that humans have been moving societally, socially, uh, um, philosophically towards the idea. Look, the, the idea how morals and ethics are now a a big a big thing. We don't need to have a God to be moral people it was unfathomable let's say 900 years ago okay but along that along the path that humanity has chosen to walk there's this idea of it's something to aspire to to be somebody who's completely free, completely free has has all options on the table and yet doesn't actively I choose
1: uh, uh-huh.
0: you're talking about maximizing both liberty and freedom.
2: Exactly. So – but that's – somebody who's free in that sense has a, a mind whose shape is wide enough wide to up. allow things in. Not everyone does. We have this all the time with with friends, with family. You're trying to get them to see something and they can't. And No matter what you tell them, they're not going to see it.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, speaking with somebody I'm very close to, and uh, he was struggling with um, uh, a female relative of his who was doing things that caused him a lot of anger. And I suggested, you know, maybe you don't have to get angry about it. Maybe it's not about you, and if you put a little emotional distance between what's happening and yourself you can choose a different emotional reaction to it and for him that was inconceivable the idea that he could choose his emotional response to it was just, it was completely out of his realm.
2: Yeah, I mean look, you know, we we have now uh, the big hot button issue in, in, in uh, the news sphere is uh, sexual harassment and one of the things I thought was insane, it was utterly insane. Donna Karan, you were around the '90s. She was a big uh, uh, fashion designer. Um,
0: hey, you said Donna Karan. I'm thinking Anna Karina.
2: Right. So no, Donna Karan, New York, the uh, the fashion label. So Donna Karan's an actual person, and uh, somebody she knew. Uh, I don't remember if they asked her in terms of Harvey Weinstein or, or or one of the other big names, but somebody asked her essentially like, you know, what are your thoughts on the matter? And she responded with the ultimate, uh, you know, insanity, not because of what she's saying is insane necessarily because somebody saying that in today's world is just pilloried by definition. You know, like, well, maybe the girls were asking for it. Did anyone see what they were wearing? Did anyone see how they were talking? Did anybody think that, you know, the message they were giving off? Yeah, obviously, she had to eat her words publicly and she got tarred and feathered for it. But but, but she said that. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is up until not too long ago, that, that was the prevailing truth. A man was helpless. His sexual drive was was bigger than he was and and if you put a uh, you know a good looking lady and she 's not wearing uh, a burqa in front of a man then he's he 's going to have to react he, he has to this is still true in certain parts of the world they think this way <laughs> they do and, and 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 by the way this is not i 'm not talking about any one particular part of the world in, in, in our country, there are sections of our country where people still do think this way
0: it 's a little bit hard for me to to digest that. Because I grew up in ultra liberal Northern Virginia,
2: so I grew up in ultra orthodox Brooklyn, and I can tell you that segments of the the community I grew up in that that's that's what they think. But you know, there there's this concept of like you know, no, these are things that you can't possibly control, and and as you're saying, you can you can uh, you can eventually learn to control things. That you might think, or humanity may have thought for hundreds of years, is more powerful than you are. Ah,
0: uh-huh. okay.
2: And and one of the uh, one of the uh, one one great example, a way to bring all these ideas together, in terms of recombination, transduction, and reduction, learning things, um, ideas, shapes, minds, reactions. Uh, to me, they all come together in, in the line of work that I'm in, which is therapy. And we started this uh, uh, point by saying that you know there are times where people are just you't can't, you can't talk to them, you can't tell them what you want to say because they just can't see it. And this happens all the time. Uh, you know that's that's not something new, but occasionally it can be something which is amazingly harmful. Horribly harmful therapy itself. Sometimes, yes, but I was referring to certain modes of behavior ah, okay. that, that people have. So, you know, one one instance, which really brings all this together, I think, is um, uh, you have somebody who's who's abusing substances, right? And they okay,
0: don't. I'll be that one, and you'll be my therapist.
2: You want to role play this? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it.
0: Uh, so, dude, Tzvi, like, I got totally blasted this weekend with my buddies. You seem to do that often. Yeah.
2: How often are you, uh, how often are you drinking?
0: Uh, most days. Most days?
2: Yeah, I mean, that not, not necessarily
0: a lot every day, but, you know, like on the weekends a lot and during the week, you know, some. i have a beer at night, almost every day. Just one? Uh, Sometimes two. Just two? Dude, sometimes more. Why are you doing that? Because, you know, it's a good way to relax and be with my buddies and it feels good.
2: Yeah, there are other ways you can be with your buddies.
0: Sure, we do other things too.
2: There are other ways you can relax?
0: Yeah, we do that too.
2: There are other ways you can feel good. Sure. Sure. So what is it about drinking that is so appealing?
0: Well, like, um, you know, part of it is like the social thing to do. And uh, okay, so like so, something else that I do for fun is like I, I work out, right? hmm um, And I, I like to work out, but um, I feel good after I work out. But it takes a lot of energy. It's hard. I could I could do that once a day. But, like, if I want to feel good afterwards, like, you know, I'm going to have a beer.
2: So you're drinking because it's an easy way to feel good.
0: Yeah, that, that's, yeah, it's easy. You know,
2: watching movies is easy, too. So why would you drink more often than you watch movies?
0: Sometimes I drink while I'm watching movies.
2: <laughs> okay, but... It sounds like you're doing a lot more drinking than movie watching.
0: Uh Yeah, I like... You don't get hung over from movies so much.
2: So that would be another reason to watch more movies than to do more drinking.
0: Dude, are you telling me to watch movies?
2: No, I'm trying to understand why you feel this need to drink so much. Because it feels good. Yeah, but... As you just pointed out, there are other ways to feel good and other ways that don't have the same uh you know, the same problems that 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 would it would create. So there's obviously something about this which which is drawing you to doing it even though it takes things away from you. And uh I'm right. not sure.
0: I guess I just don't care so much about like the things that it takes away or the problems that it causes. It's like, you know, like what difference does it make really?
2: Well, You tell me. What difference does a hangover make to you?
0: So I wake up later and move slower, but, like, what was I going to do anyway?
2: Play video games? I don't know. Maybe do something like get a job, something which is a bit more productive.
0: Ah, you're saying, like, I should take responsibility.
2: (laughs) Okay, so that would never have actually happened. In, in a therapy session, but you'll notice that these are very leading questions because to just ask you to recombinate uh, what you already know is not going to lead to you coming up with any new answers because you're not taking anything from outside.
0: Okay, so Socrates disagrees with you. Socrates in the Plato's dialogue, the Mino, Uh, Mino is actually a guy's name. So in the dialogue, Mino, um, he is defending the idea that knowledge is the discovery of what you already know. And the way that he shows this is he takes a a slave boy who knows very little, and uh, through asking questions, leading questions, you might say, allows the boy, facilitates the boy, discovering on his own terms, uh, you know, a theory of geometry.
2: Yes, but here's the thing. Those leading questions are transductive.
0: Okay, so this might be a semantic issue. Like, you want to say that it's introducing something new into his mind, whereas Socrates would see it more as, like, I'm changing the environment in which this species has to evolve now I've imposed these constraints in the environment and the species is going to have to find food in a new way. And
2: so it's going to evolve in a certain That direction. That's precisely the point. So if, look, if you just sort of come to the kid...
0: That, that's different than a virus injecting
2: new DNA. That's like... It's different... Yes, it's different in the sense that there's not an active... Uh,
0: Like when you're a therapist, you this goes back to the image you were using before, the minds have different shapes. You're you're changing the shape of the environment. You're changing the shape of that mind. So new ideas. Or
2: the shape of the idea. But yes. Yeah. But what that does is once it's inside, it can now be able to that person can then take these points, recombinate them to arrive at conclusions they never would have done without that particular type of questioning. By the way, the, the Socratic method uh, of dialogue as as uh, education is one of the big tools, if not the biggest tool, that a therapist will use. Right.
0: Okay, so really it's, it's just a difference in the image of are you putting the idea in or are you changing the conditions in which the ideas which exist in their own?
2: Well, I'm using transductive in the sense of it's a, the idea was external and it was put into That person's mind by someone else. Once it's in there sure they can recombine as you know he can recombine all the things he does and end up with geometry but I'm pointing out that Socrates introduced things into that mind with his method of questioning and so the questioning is in a way transductive.
0: Okay I hear what you're saying I don't know if I I don't think Socrates would agree. I, also, interesting in terms of therapy, you know, Jung might have a more traditionally Socratic perspective on this, whereas you have these primal archetypes which are shared because of shared human history and are expressed in culture, and then, um, you know, you, you bring out aspects of, of what's primal and innate. Uh, I'm not actually trying to use the word innate, but... Um, Ah, what's the word? Natural? No. Like, in potential, in the person. Dormant? No. It'll come to me later.
2: All right. Yeah. So what I think we should do now, especially since uh, we've been going on for for a while here, is I want to bring things back to where we started. We've had a, a bird's eye view. We've had a very zoomed in view. And now let's put everything together. Recombinate it. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Self, self-reference um, and so why do bad ideas happen to good people exactly
0: okay so a few things that we've seen are that you have to have a diversity of possibilities that you're working on then you have to allow the combination and the experimentation of uh, you know, new combinations need to be able to form ideas. Uh, so if you're locked into one way, one if you're locked into a small set of ideas or a rigid way of recombining them, then you're going to have issues. And another issue is the testing phase. The, uh, you need to kill off bad ideas. You need a way to test ideas. And so if there's no killing field, then life is not going to be very interesting. That's a weird point that death is really important to the development of life.
2: I think we, we'll have to touch on that um, the next time around. But
0: and we saw how uh, particularly fundamentalist ways of, of thinking sort of short-circuit that in any number of different ways.
2: Well, the one thing, there's one other thing that we saw which, which definitely should be added to the list, which is the idea of dead ends, where whether they're, they're created by people who draw a line in the sand and say past this is not allowed? There's a certain dogmatic, uh, um, the dogmatic method, <laughs> instead of the Socratic method. Um, no, there or could, there could be borders,
0: though. What's the problem?
2: I'll, well, hold on, because there can be, but well, I'll make the point, and then I'll address your your, your question: um, whether those dead ends are are human imposed or whether they're in terms of the tree of evolution, you've exhausted any possibility at this point. There's just nowhere to go from here. You can be stuck in a dead end where there's nowhere to go. In terms of what you said, that there can be borders, you're 100% correct. But sometimes borders will close you off from getting anywhere else.
0: Uh, the issue is, are the borders sort of artificially imposed? Um, and, well, I'll put it, it stopping like this. the flow of life. Or are they uh, an organic part of what's required?
2: I'll put it like this. These borders, are they, let's say, fences on two sides but it allows for a flow moving front – moving forward and backwards? Or is it three-sided and it's a literal dead end? That's the point. These are why bad ideas happen to good people. They either get stuck in something. Um, they don't have alternatives or they've backed themselves into a corner so to speak they're in a dead end and one other thing we touched on which is actually really important is and this is part of they don't have alternatives is they can have this sense of there's no mindfulness to even understand that they're in a problem in the first place
0: right so Kuhn talks about this in um Scientific Revolutions, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. So he he puts forth the... the, the, It's that book that made the word paradigm a popular term today. So the paradigm uh, essentially tells you what data is relevant, how you can process it, and what it can mean. And it's only when the paradigm breaks down that you're susceptible to seeing things in the data that you didn't see there before for example irregularities in the orbit of mercury um and when it breaks down new tools can develop and so on and so forth so getting stuck in that paradigm and not having mindfulness and awareness of having a paradigm is is terribly trapping
2: it's great that you bring up kuhn because uh and sure this is attributed to max planck also where he talks about how uh paradigms don't shift they die yeah um well they get they die out and get replaced but the thing to zoom in on there cuz kuhn's talking about scientific advancement um, is advancement that, is actually a question for him in a way okay but in terms of the layman's takeaway off a 20-second quote, sure. um, but the, the thing is, and this is important to remember, th- there, there's a reason why there are so many bad ideas out there. Yeah, yeah. And and with this, we're kind of going to segue away from answering our question. I, th- I think we have. And we're going to – let me rephrase that. I think we've given a lot of food for thought for people to answer that question for themselves. Um And I think we're going to transition a little bit more into some practical, uh, personal, what can we do about it type things. But that being said –
0: What was your worst idea ever?
2: Doing this podcast. No. (laughs) You asked. But here's the thing. There's a reason that these bad ideas exist. Um, They were part of an evolutionary process. They worked for a time. They solved a problem.
0: They are a part, right? So hopefully even elements of them that are redeemable get projected forward into the future. That's
2: how it's supposed to work. But when you find yourself in a dead end, right, when you find yourself in a dogmatic system, for example, or a closed system or a dead end where, you know, you, you have – this is the kind of the first thing that you need to be looking for is what about this can I take – what about this moves forward and what about this needs to be left behind,
0: well, okay, so but part of the problem, and this is why the evolutionary metaphor is powerful, and this also goes back to what you're saying about paradigms um part of the problem is that it's really difficult to assess that
2: a hundred percent
0: it's oh, very difficult
2: so. to just t- before you even get there. it's difficult to question your own paradigm in the first place for you for for somebody who's within something you know it's like they're saying uh, how many words does a fish have for water, you know. You don't you don't think about how you think. That's just the way you think. You don't you don't question your thoughts. Though that themselves is a thought. Everybody says you know question everything. I think it's a slogan for EA, the game maker question okay. everything. Okay. And and it's like, you know, but the funny thing is you you're not really questioning. By the time you have a question, that means you you're realizing that there's a problem. Cuz we said before, where evolution is really problem solving. So when you you see there's a problem, you're already gotten somewhere. As we pointed out, that everybody sees there's a problem. Uh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. It's very easy to just be like, you know, oh, so when you find yourself in such a situation, what am I going to take forward? But that's already when you've acknowledged that there is a problem. Well, actually, to flip things on their head a little bit. So
0: maybe, I've seen this in my own life a bit. Um, sometimes we, we see something as a problem and, because it's not working out for us. Um, and the problem is seeing it as a problem and not as a solution. Like, hey, it's not working out. Like, so take that as data that's useful feedback, and now go with it. You know, flow with that. Find find some new way
2: to right. adapt to that. I don't think that's part of what I was referring to. I, that you don't contra- see something as I'm, a
0: problem. I'm not contradicting. I'm using the word problem to, you know, point out something about how we focus on these things.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. And and the the only real way, not the only. One of the good ways that um, that people can learn to do this before it's too late, so to speak, before everything comes crashing down and then you're like, oh, no, where do I go from here? Is, and this is something which is very strange to Western thinkers. It's very strange to Western thinkers because the West uses a very scientific model of thought. You have you know you test things you get rid of the stuff that doesn't work it's always there's, there's one conclusion this is the way things are when you go to the east they love paradox they love contradiction they 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 revel the highest form of of brilliance and and enlightenment is to be able to see a paradox to hold contradictory thoughts at once
0: I don't know if that's actually what it is, but it certainly looks that way to Westerners.
2: One of the things, and you've told this to me personally as, as advice, is to come up with better ideas, come up with more ideas.
0: Right, yeah, That's it's now popular wisdom, right? To come up with better ideas, come up with more ideas. And then the, the addendum, which people don't say, is then kill off ideas quickly, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the dark side of it. Right. Come up with a lot of ideas and then start killing them.
2: That's the way that uh, a lot of startups wind up working. Right.
0: We take that killing process and we call it iteration.
2: It certainly sounds cleaner. It does sound
0: cleaner. Yeah.
2: I think it's it's worth exploring this a little bit from a practical, personal level.
0: Oh, how to kill ideas off quickly?
2: No, just the – well, that too. Um, the Greek mythology, the, the ship of Theseus – which is presented actually as a form of paradox.
0: It's presented by Aristotle, for example. It's presented before him too, I think. But Aristotle presents it as a problem for ontology. It's like, what is the ship?
2: Right. So for those that aren't uh, familiar, the ship of Theseus is this uh, thing as a logical puzzle where you have a ship that's going to sail around the world. And because it's not going to make any stops... It, it is towing behind it a barge with replacement parts for every single part of the ship. And over the course of the journey, as it circumnavigates the globe, every single part of the ship needs to be replaced. And so when it steams back, oh, Aristotle's time, sails back into port, it's home port, and it's finished. Not one part of this ship is the same part that started. Could you say that the same ship sailed around the globe? Or is this a different ship? That's the, the ship of Theseus. I use this, we touched on Torah Shabbat, the Jewish oral law, and I always use this as the perfect uh, parable for how the halachic process works. We illustrated it a bit with the Killing Amalek Commandment, but it, this is true all around the, the, the board, where everybody in their own time, and as things come up, replace the parts. The and yet the ship sails on. Jewish life today is
0: so radically different from Jewish life 2,500 years ago. But it's hard to see like, what do these things have to do with each other if it's only about the mechanics of how you live your life. It doesn't, well, we don't bring sacrifices in the temple and they don't you know, pray the way that we pray. And it just goes on and on from there. Uh, what do the you know, kosher now is different than kosher then? You know, everything all the particulars of lived life are different so what makes them part of the same thing
2: and the answer is that halakhic process in which slowly those pieces are swapped out and they might be different but fundamentally on principles to say that i don't know but so far i disagree with you
0: my sense is that what makes it all part of Torah and the breach the covenant that we have with with God is the basic shared commitment to that covenant
2: to okay i'm I'm describing the mechanics of Torah Shabalpet with this parable of replacing the parts of the ship that in each generation as something new comes up, and we described it before you have this This constant searching for external uh, things to bring in, right the way we were talking, where you have you have a principle, and then times change, things change, contexts change, situations change. Uh, how to best express a certain idea is now a question, and then that's what this conversation goes, and you you recombinate these ideas and you come up with something which might seem new or radical but it is really just the evolving of an original principle or thought or idea or or concept and so that that is in a way a ship of theseus in which each time that comes up sure you're replacing something but the ship sails on to where it's going and it's in that sense it's the same ship in terms of the mechanics the ship Yeah of yeah that's that, that's, is, that's and, what i'm describing it's a beautiful metaphor yeah that's what i'm describing and and people can live this way if you go through your life as a ship of theseus you have certain things
0: i replace my cells regularly
2: that's a fantastic example remember we started with genetics and memetics yeah. and you can replace your 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 ideas but they're not replaced in the sense of it's something different it's just that something has evolved if you know, look i we we brought it up in 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 this podcast also I grew up in a ultra orthodox environment, and I think the way I live today, which on the surface seems radically different than the world I grew up in, sticks to the same principles
0: yeah it's fun to watch your sister react to yeah. you.
2: Yeah, because she hasn't gotten that far in life yet. She's she's you know thirteen years younger than I am.
0: But you could tell that you are both siblings because of her sense of humor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, poor kid, huh? But that's
0: amazing, she jokes about the paradigm that she's trapped in.
2: But that's the first way out. That's the realization of something doesn't add up. This that, needs to change.
0: That's how you see she's not really trapped in it. It's just a, it's a lifestyle for her.
2: Well, I would say at the moment she is but honey are you listening to this podcast i hope not um and if you are go back to class but (laughs) but 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 that's that's the idea that's that's where that's the problem you've identified a problem and you're going to evolve to solve it but it's not because you're not getting rid of something and you're not you're not when we talk about killing off ideas it doesn't always have to mean that the idea is dead it means that the idea has adapted or you've adapted it to fit something new. What I was going to say is I don't see myself as living a fundamentally different life or with fundamentally different values or even in a fundamentally different way. I think that the expressions are different because I see myself in a different context. I don't live in the world that my father does or I didn't grow up in the world that he did. But in terms of the values and the principles, I they they adapt, they evolve. But I'm Committed. You talked about commitment and and uh, covenant. I'm committed to the same covenant that he is. I'm just a little bit further along the ocean, going to where the ship needs to get to. And and you know, so okay, that's in terms of being a Jew, uh, but we can do this with anything in our lives. We're we're committed and we're dedicated to certain things, but that doesn't mean that you have to get locked in a dead end because that's the way things are. You can learn how to how to accomplish those things and how to stay true to those things and how to uh, uh, honor those things in adaptive ways that not only allow you to be the person you want to be, but to actually move forward in making these things happen or in in achieving what needs to be accomplished. I agree
0: with everything you just said. I just i. Catch the whiff of apologetics
2: so i don't I'm not apologizing for anything i'm not I'm not justifying anything and 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 the truth is the truth is you're right. I left something out, and without it you're 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 right. it's apologetics. What I left out is this is true only when you're honest enough to admit when you've gone off that path. It's very about? easy to backdate what you're doing. And explain it away as uh-huh. I've adapted to this. Uh, look, in, in, in the Jewish uh, tradition, uh, this is actually a perfect example. Uh, in the 1950s, you had this large influx of Jews into America. And certainly out of the big cities, there was a problem. You know, when it came to the Sabbath, you, don't, you weren't supposed to drive your car. But when you lived in a rural area, how else are you going to get to synagogue on Saturday? And things split where certain groups of people decided that to bend the rule or break the rule was a good idea to accomplish, right? Because we're staying true to our ideals. You need to go to synagogue on Saturday. And if it means you have to get in a car, so, okay, that rule can can change. Other people said, no, you're changing rules because of your ease and convenience. And you shouldn't and and though obviously that has uh, itself, that split has now evolved in two totally different directions with ripples and repercussions that are far beyond the scope of what we're talking about. So yeah, it's very easy to explain away everything uh, retroactively and say, oh, it's just the shape of Theseus. Uh, I'm just replacing the outdated pieces with something uh. that works. But you need to have the courage to realize – that you may have screwed up, and that what you thought at one point might have been something which was good, you now have to have the ability to say, this is a dead end, or we're no longer on the same ship. Even if it's not a dead end, just look where you're headed. If your ship is now pointed at a different port, it doesn't help. If your ship is now a different ship, it doesn't help. So you're right. It can it can be used apologetically, but I I I with the proper honesty, with the, uh, what's the word? I would come back
0: to to basic commitment, the shared commitment. The uh,
2: but I don't know if that would do it because take the strain, take the what evolved into a sect of Judaism that said it was okay to drive your car. They still believe that they're fully committed to what it means to be Jewish and. Uh, and God's vision for what he wanted the Jews to be. But I, I think when but, you... Lema. So when you ask them, you know, what
0: is that commitment, you get the equivalent of a moderate to hard leftist...
2: Humanist. Human,
0: humanist position, which is readily identifiable as you know more or less the Democratic Party. So, so that's my
2: point. You need to have like, well, the where honesty. Do
0: you, where do you see the Democratic Party in the Talmud, or in Maimonides, or like where? Where is that? Like that?
2: Oh, Billum wrote an ass. What? But yeah. <laughs> well,
0: what? What has come to be defined as like this is the essence of, you know, the the Jewish moral essence or whatever it is, like this, uh, you find elements of it here and there, but. But you, you can test the idea and say, look, this is not a part of the – this is not fundamentally the, the commitment that we're talking about.
2: Right. So, so this is the, – the, the, that honesty that I'm describing, the ability to say it, it's not working out. I was wrong. I have, I have gotten into a dead end. By the way, for their ex- – in terms of the people we're, we're talking about, their success in uh, raising children – to stay true to the same ideals or their failure, I should say, in raising children to stay true to the same ideals and their inability to cogently, as you pointed out, describe what are exactly are they committed to and things like that. Those would be things that would tell you, you may have messed up and and you use the words test yeah. your ideas against reality.
0: That, that's the real test because the, Actually, Sean McCaskill, who's questioned, gave us two questions that we fielded in the previous episode. So um, he raised a beautiful point. I don't want to go into the whole thing right now, but um, human reason is faulty. We've got a real. It's hard to think yourself out of the box that you thought yourself into. Or what? How did Einstein say it? You can't think yourself out of the same problem you thought yourself into. Whatever it was. Uh So. the the evidence, the test, is not going to be, probably, unless you're extremely clever and happen to stumble upon it and recognize it, a, uh, a philosophical um, conceptual analysis. It's going to be something like recognizing, hey, my community is dying out because we aren't reproducing and our kids are assimilating out into whatever, and they don't care. If they don't care, that's an important data point for me. I better respond to that, right? Or recognize, I have no clue what the hell I'm talking about. I better go figure this out. That's amazing to see that that the, the, the acid test isn't, a, isn't a, a thinking thing. It's a recognition of you know, what's going on here. It's, it's looking outside.
2: I think a very pithy way to put this would, would be is to recognize that questions themselves are an acknowledgement of reality being incongruent. We come to questions when we realize something is wrong. That's what a question is.
0: I feel like I've spent a lot of time asking questions because I feel something is wrong, and the question is wrapped around the wrong thing. like. The the question and what I've defined as the problem are part of the paradigm that I'm trapped in, and what I need is not the question that I'm obsessively asking over and over again, but a different question.
2: Eli Wiesel describes how, when he was a kid, uh, before the war, he was apprenticed to this kabbalist. He was recognized as an eloy, as a genius, as a genius, as a prodigal child. So they instead of sending him through the regular schooling, which was meant for average children, they sent him to learn with this master, brilliant uh, uh, sage. And after a month, he was ready to kill the guy because <laughs> he never told him anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would respond to every question with a question.
0: That's so Jewish. It is. Yiddish cup.
2: So finally he, he blew up at him and he's like, I don't get why I'm with you. You've never answered a damn question I've had yet. What do you actually know? And the guy the guy looked at him and he says, So, what is it you really want? And he says, Answers. I want answers. And the guy says, Well, that's a problem. Answers don't do you anything. Sweetie, answers don't do me anything. He's like, So, so Wiesel gets a little flustered and he says, So, I don't get it. When you pray every day, you don't pray for clarity and answers? And he says, No, I pray for better questions. We never answer questions with answers
0: we don't answer our important questions we
2: overcome
0: our questions as you
2: pointed out when you get out of the paradigm and the incongruency which is your question you will then be faced with an expanded paradigm and new incongruencies. and new incongruencies and you will have better questions we don't answer our questions you and I know and and this was oh sorry before I, 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 I say that I just want to point out as I said I'd get to that what we were describing in terms of how the oral law how Torah Pet works this is exactly it we're always on the hunt for a better question we're searching for it mm. as I said we're always looking for something outside to bring in and force that that evolution oh that's literally what allows for sok
0: in a novel area you need to figure out how can I ask this question in a way that lets me bring together things exactly. Wow, yeah.
2: You're talking about questions, and questions leading to more questions. We we believe the Jewish tradition Speak has for yourself. it. Yeah, well, that's the other Jewish tradition: two Jews, twelve opinions. Um, but we we believe the world is created with ten utterances. There are ten times in the narrative of Genesis, that God says, "Let there be," right. This is what the Talmud says. And this is these a sort are the uh, vayomer. Yeah. 10 times where God says something and these are the 10 things created. In the world, the kabbalists use this to talk about the 10 spherot and, and, and all that fun But The but last if you one go and
0: count, you only find nine.
2: There are nine times where God says yehi, let there be. The last time it only says vayomer and God said, but there is no let there be. It's a question. He says, let us make man, which most people take as a statement. Let us make man. But in the Hasidic tradition, the Kabbalist tradition, this is a question. Shall we make man? And the point is not to answer it. Yes. The point is that in living your life, you become the answer.
1: Yeah.
2: And in in a microcosm, this is how we do things in life as well. We were describing a moment ago the ship of Theseus approach.
0: The terrifying thing about that means – the terrifying thing about that is that you don't have objective external criteria where you say, um, is this right or wrong? Correct. That the, the right or wrong is defined by how you are. Your being in your context.
2: Yeah, and even more than that, because it's also defined by where it's going to go.
0: Yeah, but there's not there's not a a hard and fast formula.
2: There never is. To so to put it pithily, we don't answer our we don't find answers to our questions. We become them. Yeah, and and that with that, I I want to kind of sum all this up together. With something you had mentioned that Sean had said.
0: Okay, so um, Sean heard what the title of this episode was going to be, and he suggested that perhaps the answer is sin, that humans live in a fallen state, and so you can't rely on reason, and so sin is basically the origin of bad ideas.
2: And what I'd like to point out, and perhaps in doing so answer, uh, or at least respond to Sean's point, is based on what we're saying, it's not that bad ideas mean that you're a bad person. It, bad idea is a sign that where you're at right now means you're stuck. That doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't mean that you got there because you're a bad person. It means that in the track of how you're evolving, you you don't have a, you need to keep moving forward. And that's a sign that you're not. And that rather than find an answer, become one. Go through that Ship of Theseus uh, approach and test your ideas against reality and have the courage to admit that they don't add up if they don't. And if you keep moving forward and you keep being a good person. Or becoming a good person. Becoming, yeah. And that's the point. Technically, you're right. It's a sin. You're right. It's a sin. And by the way, in the Jewish tradition, that's what sins really are. They're dead ends. There's this funny story uh, in the Midrashic Talmudic literature of one of the Mishnayic uh, personalities. His name was Bar Kapara, who is one of my personal heroes. Bar Kapara. Whatever it is, he crashes this wedding and he wants to prove a point to someone. This is a very important wedding. See, whatever the background is, he he starts raising questions about forbidden uh, unions, forbidden sexual partners.
0: What are referred in translation to as abominations.
2: Well, yes and no. They're, They're called arayot, which has no real English translation. But there are reasons given for some of them. So, so the Bible will say, and this is one that every uh, everyone knows, due to it being a political issue, a uh, current political issue in the United States. But uh, a man should not lie with a man the way he lies with a woman, because it's an abomination. The word for abomination, that, that word, abomination, in Hebrew is toeva, and Bar Kapara points out that he challenges you can,
0: them too.
2: He them First, questions. he asks them, so why why is it that a man can't sleep with another man? And everybody says, what do you mean? Because it's disgusting. It's an abomination. He says, no, that's not what the word means. The word to'eva does not mean abomination. It's it's a compounded word. It's really two words. And the words are ba. a you, You're going to get lost in it. It's a mistake. The word, even in modern Hebrew for mistake, is that word, to'e, ta'ut. And he's saying that the real issue is not that you might find it aesthetically or morally repugnant, but that it doesn't lead evolutionarily to anything. It's something you get lost in. And in terms of genetics, that's true. It doesn't lead to another generation. I'm not making any statements about homosexuality. That's actually on our list of topics to tackle at some point in another podcast. But the point is... The, those are the the you know that's that's a good example of something which is a sin but it's really a dead end that that's the point so it's not that having a bad idea makes you a bad person or getting stuck somewhere that's a sin means you're a bad person because you're not dead yet the judgment of good or bad is final so it doesn't happen while you're alive it means you're stuck and that you need to move out move out of that get past it and, and continue along the way. And the perfect capstone to all this, oral law, Torah Pe, is referred to as the path, the way. Hmm. That's its purpose. That's its goal. And that's how it works. And by taking the same approach, not necessarily in terms of how you learn Torah or the Bible, but in how you live your life. We, what we talked about, having an open mind searching for things from the outside that to include and to recombinate and to evolve that would be how to get out of being a good person who's having bad ideas stuck in a bad idea thank you all for listening have a wonderful week
0: please send your comments questions criticisms jokes about the podcast into us
2: we love all forms of feedback and, uh, and uh, critique. We would be hypocritical if we weren't searching for things from the outside.
0: Suggestions. We are iterating quickly, killing off things that don't work. Um, so shoot our sacred cows, please.
2: Yeah. And uh, thank you to Sean, who's been invaluable with this until now. Um, and uh, hopefully we hear from, from a lot more of you. And you can get your shout out in the podcast too. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day or night whenever you're listening to this. And we'll see you next week.